You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and these are my cohorts, Sexy Irish Sean and Rick. Uh, Well, on today's podcast, we're going to be going over major mistakes, things that either have killed successful Kickstarters, major mistakes we prevented our clients from making, and maybe major mistakes in communication that almost give me a heart attack. All sorts of major mistakes, but in particular, we're relating these things to our clients and kind of marketing your Kickstarter in general. Yeah, so these are all real life. Yes, so these are real life situations in which I've almost received a heart attack just from the things that someone has told me in a Facebook messenger. Like, no, don't do that. You know, it's like, I can't type words fast enough to fix it. Should I reclassify this podcast as a reality podcast now? It's definitely a little bit Jersey Shore, a <laughs> uh, little bit crowdfunding nerds, a little bit Jersey Shore. Um, no, I never watched that show. <laughs> I never have either, but you just can't help but hearing pop culture reference. Yeah, I don't think I'm missing anything for what I, I know about I, it. The only, the only real reality show I think I've watched is Wipeout. You guys remember I Wipeout? I loved that Survivor? show. Survivor? Come on. No, that's it's drama. Good. Wipeouts just action. Yeah, like people falling on things. All right. So let's jump into our, our topic at hand. You know, um, there was this conversation that I had with uh, with somebody today that just like nearly gave me a heart attack. And and the the summation of the conversation went something like this. I have a 400 millimeter miniature that I'm going to, you know, put in my uh, Kickstarter or in my game. And I need to know what it might cost. And they're, mind you, they're talking to me, a marketer. I, I had 32 millimeter scale miniatures in deliverance. And then, um, so they're like, I'm not sure what it'll cost. By the way, my Kickstarter launches in five days and I need to be careful with prices. Like, oh my goodness, you are, you're about to go out of business. If you succeed, you will die. For those of us who are not height. Uh... That is 1.3 <laughs> feet tall. What? A 1.3. I don't think that you can call a miniature a miniature at 1.3. No, feet I, I didn't, it's yeah, it's hard to hard to quantify. That's just a miniature statue yeah. now. It's like a small <laughs> statue. And that's going to increase everything because that's going to be an expensive mold to be expensive to transport. Yeah. Ah. Now, it's not the first time something like that's happened. In fact, um, Simon is well known for this game Cthulhu Death May Die, where they famously included a very massively large model of Cthulhu that was over a foot tall. I think it might've even been like a 400 millimeter tall, you know, model and people, you know, bought it just to have it as like a display. It was like, you know, a really cool thing to display in their gaming room or whatever. They charged $200 for that. And this person, that's kind of what they were using to base their pricing off of. I was like, Hey, well, you know, Simon did it for 200 bucks. So I'm sure that if they, they price their game for that and I priced mine for the same, that the pricing will work out, you know, I'll figure it out and, you know, we'll be able to, as long as I make enough money, all the costs that may arise will uh, be taken care of. And that is not true at all. What was so alarming in this situation was that it was five days before their Kickstarter launched and they didn't know. And then they didn't realize that Simon has a minimum number of people that are going to order their game no matter what it is because they have a very large email list. And this 
Death May Die was probably projected to make at least $1 million. So at that scale, you are able to make very expensive things cost less and be much more affordable. Just the mold cost for something like that could have been 50 grand, you know, just to act, you know, the, the one-time mold fee, which is not much if you made a million or, you know, $3 million. I forget what they made with this, uh, with this giant game, but also they had a lot of other things going for them. They had a very high quality game designer named Eric Lang, who is very uh, popular for uh, making amazing games. They really, they're proven assets. You know, they, they, they believe not only is this miniature going to be massive, but the game is going to be high quality because it's proven that these people can make good games and they, they have huge, huge audiences and that sort of thing. So this person um, just kind of expected that they would be able to replicate that and, they didn't have all of those, I guess, modifiers in their head. And what I expected was, is if this person succeeded in their Kickstarter, that they would lose their house because, you know, I mean, I didn't even know if they were incorporated or anything like that, but I mean, they, they, they would definitely fail to deliver. And um, so I had a conversation with them. I kind of talked them back from the ledge and you know, hopefully they take the advice and, and we, we see a, a major mistake prevented. Also, you know, another thing is I expected they can't, you know, maybe if other backers saw what this, you know, when the, if the campaign goes live and people see it and whatnot, that, you know, when they look at it, they would, will be able to kind of suss out if this is uh, legit or, or not. And, you know, maybe it would fail to fund because there are other factors that, that might present. So it, it, you know, these types of things can potentially be things that take care of themselves, but so often they are, people will, will pay for what they think they're going to get and treat Kickstarter like a, like a pre-order uh, store and, or platform. And, you know, it, it's, it's not that. What's interesting is that uh, it seems like now it may not happen in this case for this game, but it seems like Kickstarter is getting more strict into these Kickstarter campaigns. I've been seeing a lot more articles online about Kickstarter pulling and taking off campaigns because they think it won't happen. For example, someone was raising funds. I think it was for like a, like a Netflix-style anime production. And Kickstarter halfway through the campaign is like, nope, we don't think you'll be able to do this and we're going to pull you. And they pulled yeah. them. That is now a possibility as well. Uh, Kickstarter now has the right to themselves to determine if your Kickstarter campaign will be able to come into fruition or not and pull the plug if they don't think it's so. It's just strange. Wouldn't they just not approve the project in the first place if that was their suspicion? Well... I think in this case, it also had to do with some uh, advertising they did that wasn't very accurate. They were pushing anime shows and movies uh, that they wanted to have on the platform, but they were never in negotiation or secured or even tried at the time to actually contact the production companies to get those those rights. Yeah. So Kickstarter always has the um, the right to stop some or stop a project mid campaign, you know, midway through. And oftentimes that's where the true scrutiny will, uh, will actually um, arise uh, because you don't get paid until the end of your Kickstarter campaign. And uh, Kickstarter keeps all the money for a period of, um, you know, two to three weeks to make sure that, you know, 
every everything is is okay. There are have been many projects that have launched. Um, in fact, actually, Deliverance. When I got Deliverance approved, I had uh, my um, my page, my um, uh, whatever the Kickstarter story is what is what it's called your page that you have all the graphics on it and and everything like that that was filled with graphics that had information goes here shipping chart goes here you know i didn't actually have the shipping estimates there i didn't have you know there was a lot that i was missing and they approved it because i my goal was just to show them i'm going to have this information i'm going to have that information i want to make sure i get ahead of the approval process so that you know I don't try to launch and then find out that, oh, I have a three-day approval process, right? So they will oftentimes approve projects that they they see potential, and then they will make sure, usually it's off of backers having concerns. It's like, hey, you know, I, I bet a backer brought that concern to the Kickstarter staff, and then they investigated. There was a, a game called uh, Massive Darkness by Simon that uh, successfully funded. They've made Massive Darkness 1 and 2. And then there was another game I can't remember. It was some like kind of space-themed dungeon crawl. But um, I guess what happened was they copied the Massive Darkness rulebook almost word for word. And the backers put two and two together and they told Kickstarter and Kickstarter pulled the project down, even though the game had about $180,000 in funding, they, uh, they stopped that project from continuing because it was a fraudulent or rather, you know, a copyright infringement because you, you can actually copyright rule books and that kind of thing. Also, I think Kickstarter is getting more strict because there are some older Kickstarter projects out there that have been like, you know, funded five, six, seven, eight years ago, and they're still not in fruition. And so I think Kickstarter is trying to be a little more controlling in that part because they don't want, you know, people, it's their brand and they don't want people to say, oh, you know, I invest, I invested in on a project on Kickstarter and 10 years later, I still don't have right. anything. They don't want those stories. Yeah. So I think that's another reason why they're, they're, they're uh, getting a little more strict on, on uh, these requests. Oftentimes it only takes one project to go sour for somebody to say, I'm never doing Kickstarter again, you know, and that's something that um, I see on a, on the regular, you know, you have board game groups where somebody will, you know, you'll regularly hear, yeah, I don't back games on Kickstarter. You know, one time I backed this game and it took five years to deliver, or, you know, you've got lots of stories about games that have gone to Kickstarter, raised $1.2 million, and then, you know, several years later. They, yeah, they, they fail to deliver. Especially when it comes to games like online games, MMOs. One of the MMOs I'm playing is actually a, just went live to the public this month and they were a Kickstarter project. Um, however, I know two other MMO Kickstarter projects that were funded a long time uh -huh. ago and they still don't have a public software launch really? yet. Wow. In fact, one is impossible uh, litigation because they've like, oh, we used all our money, we're, we're done. And people are like, well, uh, that's not fair. And <laughs> there's a lot of drama going on this one that I've been following. So to, 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 to say that they're still producing, they're like, oh, no, we're still working on it. And I got one person working on it to try to keep the, the litigation at bay. But uh, <laughs> it's very interesting when it, when it comes to stuff is, like uh, that. Is that Star Citizen? No, 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 no. Star Citizen... They're they're moving. It's just like they're like a turtle. I mean, they're when the stuff they're doing is pretty cool. They have really good playable. Like you can go on right now and, and, and do beta playing and whatnot. 
and it's not too bad. Um, this game that I'm talking about, like there's screenshots. Now, of course, you know, gameplay is they, people always say that there's a disclaimer that your gameplay that you see on Kickstarter may not be the same as the final result. However, in this case, it was like way night and day, like, oh, look at this beautiful, you know, 4K graphics. And then it goes to the game and it's like stick figures. And like the playability and the tasks were matching up with the Kickstarter. So yeah, this and this game, like they, they they raised, I think a couple million dollars and then they raised a couple more as an after funding. The money just vanished. They hired all these people, they did work and then it didn't turn out the way they wanted and they ran out of money. And that's a a crazy thing to happen. It is pretty crazy. Do you want to talk about the the failure to incorporate? Because, you know, Mm -hmm. let's say that these people went forward with their, you know, foot and a half, foot and a half yeah. min- miniatures and uh, gone to some trouble when not able to deliver mm-hmm. what would be the disadvantage of not incorporating as a business so okay so corporation this i was actually just talking to my wife about this uh this morning where we were talking about various protections that a corporation affords you the biggest thing is a corporation is an entity on its own it's not a human but it's treated like one as far as something that is responsible for the delivery of a Kickstarter so that you personally are not held liable. If your campaign for whatever reason, let's use the shipping situation right now, 20 grand to get a container from China, you know, from China to the U S in freight that used to be $6,000 and it's going to cause a lot of Kickstarter campaigns to potentially fail to deliver. As long as you made every, attempt to deliver, then um, nobody can blame you, right? And, you know, if you can't deliver, you have to make an attempt at refunding. And if you spent all of the money on, you know, the the happenings of the business, you know, you can't really, I mean, you made your best effort. That's That's all that you're required to do. But let's say somebody's upset about that. And I mean, they can file a lawsuit and they can say, hey, look, you know, I lost a hundred dollars on your game and so did a thousand others, right? That was, you know, a hundred thousand dollars that we gave you and you failed. So we want our money back. Well, they can actually sue the corporation, but what they cannot do is sue you personally. If I'm incorporated, the only thing that they can attack would be the, the assets of the corporation. And if it just so happens that your corporation ran out of money trying to deliver its product, then they can't sue you personally. And that is exactly why a corporation is valuable. So um, the uh, FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, actually has gone after Kickstarter campaigns that failed to deliver because you are the steward of this money. The Federal Trade Commission, Securities and I, I forget what it's called, the FTC, they will go after you. The government will go after you if you if you potentially if you fail to deliver. But if you actually tried, then you'll be okay. Now, if they find out, let's say that you took half of the money and then put it into your house as like to pay down your mortgage or something, that is something that that not even a corporation will help you. So you you take this money and you you personally pull it out. I mean, then the corporation can't protect you because you basically are committing fraud. It's it's a um, the money trail. It's all about where the money goes and who has the money and that sort of thing. And and um, so if you decide, you know, in your infinite wisdom to pull out a bunch of money from your company and, uh, you know, send your family on a nice vacation or something, 
you you have it has to you can't i mean it's possible that they can do what is called piercing the corporate veil that means that they can uh, so this corporate veil is what protects you and in some cases if you irresponsibly use your money and you do things that benefit you personally from all that money they can go after you and all of those assets that you, you know, there, uh, there's a business here or was a business here <laughs> in San Diego. Uh, they were a large bookstore and it's family owned, but it was a family owned corporation. And what they did was they pulled money out of the corporation. Cause you know, I, I mean, this, this makes sense in their eyes. I mean, as an owner, it's my money. I own it. Right. Well, it's a little different when it comes to corporations. So they pulled money out. I think they used it to buy a home or go on vacation. However, they didn't do it right because even though it was their money, it was still owned by the corporation. So it wasn't pulled out and paid out to them correctly. And they actually, uh, uh, one of them went to jail for like two or three years because of it, because it was, you know, fraudulently the money was, even though it was their money, it was still considered fraudulently pulled from the business and not uh, accounted correctly. And so one of the family members had to sit in jail for two years because of uh, probably just like accounting issue that could have been corrected and done. I think that it it always goes beyond an accounting issue that you did on accident. It's always, you go to jail for something in in a case like that, uh, that you do on purpose. So usually it's, it's that you uh, did something that would avoid taxation. That's usually why you go to jail for something like that. And that's really where a tax professional can save your behind because um, they know how to do these things. Or if you only deal in cash, but quick. Then, <laughs> then no one will know. <laughs> so usually you deal in un- unregistered firearms in that case. Actually, well. I think um, a lot of the cash now is um, has like, I don't know, it's microchipped or it's scannable. Like they all have their individual ID number as far as I know. So yeah, if you deal in pennies, then no one will know. <laughs> or like, now to give you an idea of how complicated it is to sign up for um, or to incorporate a business. I did this online within one week. Um, I went to my state, uh, the secretary of state. I, you know, I came up with a name and then decided I wanted an LLC and I was able to get the uh, form filled out just online and really easy to use. Uh, you know, the, the paperwork was really easy and um, had to tell them what it is that I was doing. I'm selling games, which I guess as a publisher, you're really whole, a wholesaler uh, selling games to, to distribution or direct to customers. Uh, you know, you could be like a retailer. But um, and then I, I'm like, oh, shoot, I have to have, a, you know, for for Kickstarter, they need you to give them your federal tax ID number. And that took me like 20 minutes from the time I started on the website to the time that I finished and got my tax ID number via email. It cost me $5 to get a federal ID number. But then it costs you $800 to file your LLC paperwork. Yeah, that, well, that's the tax time, <laughs> right? That's tax time. So one thing that clients have often failed to do is communicate which regions they are shipping to or fulfilling. And this involves your ads. You know, sometimes we, we um, can sort of naively think, oh, they're doing worldwide shipping and, you know, we're going to target the, the, the regions that are going to get them the best return. But oftentimes I've, I've had to just reach out and, and say, hey, just want to, you know, before I create this uh, new ad set targeting continental Europe, 
are you shipping to continental Europe? And sometimes I've had the responses of no. I'm so glad I've sent that email because I could just spend a bunch of money targeting ads on a region that they weren't even fulfilling to. So I suppose uh, keeping those lines of communication open with your, your team is really important. Not assuming anything is also really good. It's, it's, it's taught me to slow down and ask people and verify before I do any sort of big changes like that. I think that uh, slowing down is great advice overall. A lot of people have this idea in their head of when they need to bring their game to to Kickstarter and and you know they have these goals and these plans and and dreams and they're really serious about them. But I feel like they act like EA Sports when it comes to delivering products. They're like, well, you know, Madden 2021 is released in 2021. We can't have it released in or in 2020. We can't have it released in 2021 because we don't know why we have to release Madden 22 and that gets released in 2021. So you've got to uh, deliver now and there are tons of bugs, tons of issues and everyone's always pissed at EA. So be like Blizzard. Blizzard says it's ready soon and that they even trademarked the word soon. They It's like soon could mean one year, could mean three months. We're not, we don't know. It's ready when it's ready, right? We'll just be like Valve and say it's in the pipeline and never did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Come yeah, on, Half-Life so, 3. I know, right? Oh my goodness. That is that is a long time coming. So yeah, so I think that that's a, a really important lesson for the rest. Really, it's like the, the umbrella lesson is take your time to do what you need to do so that you're prepared when, when success hits you. We talked earlier, I mean, a long time ago now, about catastrophic success. So we had this podcast, it was like four and a half possible outcomes to your Kickstarter. And, you know, catastrophic success is that you succeed in a way that is going to cause you lots and lots of problems later. Oftentimes it's because you didn't consider all the things you needed to consider. You didn't work to understand the things that you needed to understand and and work out the problems that you needed to work out before you went to Kickstarter. So, you know, one of the biggest ones that I see on this front is when people fail, actually, before I'm going to say, before I say this, I was going to say when people fail to get proper manufacturing quotes, but before even that people fail to educate themselves, I think as a business owner, it is, and that's what you are. If you're self-publishing with, you know, on Kickstarter, you're a business owner, you need to have enough information to be dangerous in your, you know, all in all areas, you know, um, you don't need to be the expert in every area. And like Rick is way smarter than me in hosting and in so many other areas, but I at least know enough about it that I can talk about it or understand what he's telling me or maybe understand what questions to ask. I could ask Sean what type of like Axe body spray to buy. He's way better at that than me. I thought that's what the preteens were. <laughs> way sexy Irish Sean. So he obviously wears Axe body spray. Um, Cologne. Yeah. Okay. So I think that uh, to educate yourself on websites like Jamie Stegmeyer's kickstarterlessons.com or the Board Game Design Lab podcast or, or even crowdfunding nerds. These will help you learn what questions you should be asking. And then also, of course, mentors that can or that have done this before that are more experienced, they can say, hey, you know, you're at this stage of the process. I encountered those problems or these were the things I had to think about or maybe the things I wish I thought about. You, you need to have that really, bef- you know, before you're you know, you go step out on a limb and try to make a million dollars with your Kickstarter idea. I think 90% of these issues that people are experiencing are all financial. It's all, oh, I didn't think about this. Oh, 
I didn't think about that. Yep. Oh, I don't have any wiggle room on my budget. Um, you know, and I've, I've said this so many times, but, you know, when Kickstarter first came out, it was like, oh, I have an idea. Let me throw mm-hmm. it up. Oh, okay, we got we got some money. Okay, now we're going to figure out how to do it. Well, today it's like Shark yep. Tank. Like, literally, you got to have everything. You got to know exactly how much your units cost. You got to know exactly how much it's going to take to ship all around the world. You got to know exactly what the profit margins are and where, when, how, which, you know. it's yep. You have to have a final, final product before you hit that go button on right, because backers are just so educated now you know they just they know and they've been burned and they've heard stories about other people being burned and you know they don't want that to happen to them i i remember one project that it made about 1.1 or 1.2 million dollars and a few years later they ended up going belly up and uh the reason was originally they um started play testing their game publicly and uh that's after they made 1.2 million dollars and people said we hate this they it was just wasn't fun and that's at least as i understand it it wasn't a good game so they took a lot of time to redesign everything from the ground up they knew they needed to redesign everything or at least that's the choice they made and they ended up running out of money because it was their full they made it their full-time uh business they paid like three hundred ninety thousand dollars um for office space and salaries and uh, they they ended up, you know, the manufacturing bill was like seven hundred ninety thousand dollars in shipping and everything. And uh, they didn't have enough money to to uh, deliver all the products. So it was uh, it became this this famous cautionary tale of, you know, you basic. I mean, they they jumped they jumped out on a limb and went for it and they had a ton of administrative costs that just ate up everything. I mean, they should have delivered a bad product is what they should have done versus, you know, uh, I mean, they were way too far in, but really what they should have done beforehand, they could have had a huge winner if they just simply play tested before. So Andrew, how, how many quotes should people get before they should be satisfied? Okay. I got, I've got a decent idea. Is two enough, three, seven, what's the number you're looking for? You know, that's a great question. The first thing I would say is I, the default answer that I have is three, get three bids. And this was given to me by uh, my mom, actually, who's one of my number, well, my number one business mentors, my own mom. And she told me, get three bids. And I think that's a good starting point. I think that if you were to go for like 10 bids, you know, I actually went for nine bids. Um, initially I went, I reached out to every fulfill every shipping, or, I mean, a uh, manufacturer that I thought was, was respectable. Who did you settle for? Um, so long pack is, is who we're, uh, working with right now. And, um, so that's a good place to start. Yeah, there you go. Long pack is a great company with, with, uh, great processes and a lot of, a big proven track record of success and that kind of thing. You absolutely need to get a couple of bids to know, what a good price is, you know, uh, that's part of the purpose of getting a manufacturing uh, multiple quotes is you're going to have people, you know, give you one set of numbers, another set of numbers that might be wildly different. Let's say one person gives you a really low bid and the next one seems really high. Um, you need that third bid to tell you who's crazy. You know, if, <laughs> yeah. the, if the third bid is like high as well, then you know that the, the people who are charging you less are not going to do a good job. If you get the third bid and it's also low, then you know that the person who charged you a high amount is going to be, um, you know, it, it, they're, they're trying to take advantage of you. But so yeah, three quotes, I think is really important for me. I did more than that. 
I chose my companies after I got the initial quotes back and said, okay, these people have like the most reasonable pricing and also the customer service was good. The the responsiveness was good. I'm going to go with these people and seek for a more detailed quote when it comes close to actually, you know, time to, to time to uh, get the specifics figured out, narrowed down and, and manufacturing started. So definitely three bits. Also make sure that you're finding people based on referrals. I think Minion Games has a good list of manufacturing companies that you can start with. This is uh, the late James Matthew, his website. Um, but you can ask in social media, you know, on social circles at, in uh, like on Facebook, Facebook groups about, about this. So ask who other people used for manufacturing and what their experience was like. And then consider games that might be similar to yours components wise and go find who manufactured those games. Uh, because you know that if like, for example, if, um, you know, long pack did gloomhaven, I know they could do deliverance. Right. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So I might, um, start there. Just make sure you get your manufacturing quotes before you launch on Kickstarter, because those manufacturing quotes you get, you need to actually even make your pledge tiers. Don't make up your pledge level before getting a manufacturing quote. Base it on like a real number. That's a huge mistake where people put the cart before the horse, you know? Um, and then I think another mistake is treating those quotes as gospel and mm -hmm. not as estimates, right? So you need to yep. have a bit of space in your pledge pricing to account for a higher price or potential higher price. Yes, absolutely. Also, you know, for, for me, I kind of... So I, I just talked about not putting the cart before the horse, meaning don't, you know, set your pledge tiers, uh, the pricing before you get manufacturing quotes. I did something a little bit different. I said the the market could bear $59 for a base game and $89 for a deluxe edition of Deliverance. That's what I thought. And uh, so I, I said, OK, I need my game to be affordable if that's the retail value i need the manufacturing cost to be x right and um so at 59 dollars, i need roughly a 10 dollar manufacturing cost at 89 dollars, i can you know i mean i can go a little bit higher like up to you know 15 dollars for the manufacturing cost it's okay to kind of give a, a guideline even to your manufacturer and say I, this is what i did i say i need my game to cost 59 so i need the manufacturing number to be 10 bucks a game or if i can nine dollars a game so that i can you know make better margins and whatnot and um did you, did so, you ever go hey this company quoted me this can you do better <laughs> you know they just thought there you know what i did actually i did i i don't see any problem with that because it's it's uh one of those things that i had one company that i really wanted to work with but they were too high i'm like look this other company that is doing a great job is doing much lower. So can you, can you match that? And, you know, give me a quote that reflects it. And they, their response was, yeah, we'll match it. It's like, all right, uh, but I don't have like an official quote or anything like, yeah, we'll match it. And, uh, it was a uh, $2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, it was like $3 a game less. Right? And it was like, all right, let's, uh, so I, I just, I did not work with that company because I didn't trust their kind of the business practices um i didn't trust that i was going to get their very best if they charged me way more and they were willing to just kind of you know take advantage of me and then they um were like oh yeah yeah we'll we'll do it less we'd like money well 
Isn't that called marketing? I mean, that's what all marketers do. I don't know. <laughs> you have your full price, but then you have your secret seal price that you pull out when someone's like, well, I'm not sure about that exactly. price. Exactly, yeah. Now, well, oh, we'll take off 50%. Oh, yeah, I'll take it now. Sure, no Tell problem. You what, I do not like <laughs> those types of practices. And I, yeah, I just think that, you know, if if you're willing to like, oh, you won't, you know, for our marketing services, like $500 a month. Oh, you won't pay 500? Well, then 200 it's like, I don't know that you should use a company like that. You know, it's like, well, all you're doing is just robbing this. They say robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're you're charging one person three times or two and a half times as much so that you can afford to charge the other guy, you know, as as little as you do. You know, but in the end, you get both clients. Yes, but you get bad <laughs> clients and you are a bad human for doing it. <laughs> humani, you're a bad humani. Yes. You need more spankings as a kid. You should not operate a company like that. I guess let's talk about shipping because that's so close to, to manufacturing. It's you, you really need both estimates before you go to Kickstarter because you need to give shipping estimates. I've seen, in fact, actually one day or one uh, campaign I thought was so cool. I saw this game. It actually successfully funded, but they had, I don't want to name it because, you know, who knows that maybe they're listening, but I just, don't want to throw any negative press their way. And I think that they had a fantastic game and they're a good company. They just unfortunately um, went live on Kickstarter, live to Kickstarter with a shipping estimate that was three times higher than it should have been um, two and a half times higher than it should have been. And they got into big trouble. It was, so I saw them marketing at conventions. I thought, wow, this is going to crush it. They had such a cool concept, you know, and uh, like, kind of in the JRPG uh, theme and uh, you know, they wanted to make it like you're playing a Japanese RPG board game. And I just, I loved it and I loved the art and I loved everything about it, but man, they ended up falling on their face because their shipping price per game was like, so they had like a $90 game, but their shipping price was $38 or like $39 um, to into the U S for a $90 game. That is very unpalatable for people. So you had the initial burst of like seventy-five thousand, or you know, to a hundred thousand dollars on day one, which was amazing. Then you had people canceling their pledge. More people canceling than than not for probably two, three weeks of their campaign. By the time they got their shipping prices figured out, and they're like, "Oh, we could do it way less expensive if we did it this way." They missed three weeks of growth and had three weeks of shrinking instead. It could have been a four or five hundred thousand dollars swing because they forgot they failed to really get proper shipping quotes and and let people know what the numbers were going to be before they launched. I think that that's such a, a missed opportunity. And uh, so you really need to have great shipping quotes. You need to get if you're going to ship to the EU, you need to know what it's going to cost to go there. That's quite complicated now because of VAD and everything changing in the UK. You need to talk to ShipQuest for that information. The idea is that you need partners here. So you need to talk to Quartermaster Logistics or Fun Again or, you know, ShipQuest. These companies are going to guide you and tell you all of the things that you didn't need, that you didn't know so that you can actually put estimates together that are somewhat in the ballpark when you actually deliver. So, yes, we spoke about a little bit about this last week, but we had a, a client of ours who had his Facebook account banned. Then it happens. There was nothing really in his control. But because of the iOS 14 update, your domain is now linked to your account. And because he didn't have a 
domain specifically for his game. He was using his like publisher website domain. Basically, his entire ad account is banned from sending any conversion traffic to that website. So there's a there's a failure there. What he would have to do is really, in order to advertise, he'd have to create a new Facebook ad account and then also register a new domain. You know, like migrate his website or, or just create a, a site specifically for his game if he wants to use Facebook ads. So it's it's having a, a, a backup plan if things go wrong. I think that's really the key. And I suppose this is, it's it's about getting into contact with people in the industry, professionals who can inform you of some of these hazards that you might not even be aware that they exist. Facebook is like, you know, trigger, you know, trigger happy. They'll, they'll, they'll trigger you first and then review later. Um, but I've noticed like a lot of the large corporations are doing that and that's just causing problems. So like, like Sean said, if you're going to be using one of these, these larger uh, companies that have a lot of sway and power, make sure you have alternative things like, you know, alternative domains, alternative accounts, just in case something happens, you're not completely uh, uh, screwed, I guess would be the, the okay stranded. word to say on this podcast. Uh, stranded. Don't be the stranded. The same thing happens with the email list, right? Always back up your email list on your, you know, your actual computer. Yeah. I I mean, I heard of a photographer. I'm in the photography business on the, on the, on the weekends, not during business hours. And uh, <laughs> and this photographer relied heavily on Google products. He had Google Drive, Google Photos, you know, Gmail, and he got banned for some reason. And they locked everything mm. out, and he completely lost like everything because he didn't have anything on. He relied on the one main product without redundancy and without backups. Um, in fact, even I. I was laughing one day because I, uh, I was going through my, my, my Google accounts and there was like a, a blogger. They still have blogger. And I'm like, oh, let me check out blogger. So I click on the blogger icon. And it says I'm <laughs> suspended. I'm like, what? So I sent, they had a little form you could fill out. And I said, I, I don't recall the last time I've ever used blogger, but can, is, there, is there any way you can activate it? Just clear out whatever is in there and activate it. And I, got, I just got a response back this morning saying, uh, we re- reviewed your account, but you did violate one of our policies, but they won't say what. I don't even know what it was because it's been so long ago. So we're not reactivating your account. So yeah, that's another thing like, that these companies okay. do. They just say, you violated our terms and conditions and they link it. And, you know, there's like 500 things there. And it, they have like, yeah, I'm there's like 300 terms <laughs> and conditions. Dude. Yeah. So I think that redundancy, it just simply means have a backup. If your best laid plans go awry, have a way, uh, a back, a second account, a second, uh, another plan let's you know redundancy a great example of this would be what if your kickstarter doesn't fund what if your kickstarter barely funds have a plan right and uh if your kickstarter fails to fund how else will you get the game made you know maybe your your redundant plan is to simply go back to kickstarter or talk to a publisher or whatever marketing isn't a a magic wand that you know you could just throw a bunch of money at and somebody's going to get the results that you want that there are things which are out of the control of the marketer and also out of the control of, you know, the, the publisher themselves. And this is why when it comes to ad spend, particularly, we, we're always quite conservative with ad spend and we always ramp up once we see results. And that's sort of been our try and tested method is you always scale with, with results. You know, if you're faithful in little, be faithful in much. And that's sort of the philosophy that we apply to uh, ad spend. You know, and this is a professional marketer that does marketing for a living and gets paid by clients that want marketing services from us saying, 
you got to be careful on all the people that ask you for for marketing dollars because there will be no shortage of people that say you have money you should give some to me and i can help you make more i mean that is like the basis of of like every hollywood scam like when somebody makes money you know like every rapper has a story about how they made money and then some guy comes out of the woodwork or is introduced to them saying i can take that money invest it and and you'll you'll triple it or whatever and then all of a my sudden brother seems to have he he lacks the ability to discern ponzi schemes <laughs> are you be explaining <laughs> hey i got this really cool business idea and i'll go like like the secret you know, how to make money quickly is like this sounds like a ponzi scheme <laughs> like, what, you, what you're describing sounds exactly like a ponzi scheme all we have to do is just get a ton of people selling you put money in and you get money out and i, I don't really know how it works uh, yeah works just like an atm that's it's probably gonna to stop know. at some stage and then <laughs> you won't get the money back and they'll, yeah. they'll be gone <laughs> another area that you know i would classify as a major mistake is uh so we you spend all this time setting up your your marketing setting up your your uh social your community on facebook you have a facebook group and it's vibrant and active and and you have an email list that you've been building and and all of this effort goes into the launch of your kickstarter and then you fail to send your kickstarter email out that day or you do it like at the end of the day or it's like a really weak email that has very little thought attached to it that's a huge mistake why would you do that why would you spend all this time investing into building an email list and then send out like an afterthought email. Hey guys, our product launched maybe about nine hours ago, but we forgot to tell yeah. you. Sorry. We're 30% funded. Let's see if we can do it. You know, it's like if you just sent your email out when you launched, you would get, you know, 70% funded in the first hour and then fund 100% the first day and you would have a much better trajectory. I was going to say, if you're cool like Andrew, You'd have a launch party, a live launch party with yes. everybody. <laughs> I will say, though, that launch party caused a delay in some of my other things. And I think that it went a little too long. But, you know, lessons learned. It wasn't terrible. It was actually kind of fun. Yeah, I was there. One thing I, I do is I, I, I subscribe to the email list of all of our clients. So I, I keep a, a general eye on, on what they're sending out. Just make sure that they are actually sending out emails regularly. And, I you know, we send them a, a schedule as well of a suggested schedule of what they should send out. And we even had some clients of ours who failed to send their, you know, we are live email. And uh, so it, it does happen. And I guess you can, you can get so busy. So you really want to you know plan ahead for all these things. <laughs> Why aren't we making any sales? Oh, we forgot to hit the start button. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that um, there, it just kind of goes, the, I guess the best piece of advice that I would have for a creator that has recently been through a launch day and, and, you know, the first week was just completely insane for me. Um, but the launch day, there are so many things vying for your attention. Do the most important things first. The most important things on launch day involve you telling everybody that you launched and make sure that everybody knows that you launched, make sure that, you know, if somebody says, Hey, I can't find your launch, you know, link, Make sure that they can and make sure that all the other people that are not telling you that they can't find your launch link, they can't find your launch link, can find your launch link. Yeah, I think that's a general rule of thumb for, for life in general. Every time you sit down and you're preparing your Kickstarter, work on what's going to move the needle the most or what you perceive is going to 
moves they need up the most. It's, it's easy to, to get run down by the minutiae of, you know, different things which are are important they need to get done, but they might not be urgent or they might not actually uh, be that impactful to the overall campaign. So it's just using some common sense. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. A big shout out to all those lovely Kickstarter people online who have made mistakes. Not because you've made the mistakes, but it's been a learning opportunity for all of us involved. And if you really like this episode and want to listen to more episodes, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. If you need some help thinking ahead on your crowdfunding uh, experience and project, visit uh, nextlevelweb.com forward slash Kickstarter, and we will help you out. And that's all we got. We will see you next week. And stay nerdy. Ciao.